welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. This week's show, I'm joined by Mark Vercule, the founder of his own recently established interim treasury management and consulting firm called Amstel Treasury Management. Mark established the firm with the aim of providing support, consulting, and interim treasury management services to SMEs in the Netherlands and further afield, which we'll get on to a bit later in the show. Mark, you and I have known each other for many years, so this is an easy one in some ways. But if you would, a early career path, maybe back to, back to the dim distant past, how you first discovered finance, then treasury, over to you, sir. First of all, thanks for, uh, for having me on your podcast. I very much appreciate it. Going back to um, the start of my career, which is indeed a, a, a very dim past, it was in fact quite a coincidence. After I got out of the army, uh, we still had a draft army at the time in the Netherlands, and this was in the late 1980s. I had a few months to spare before the start of the new college year. So I went to look for temporary jobs and ended up working half days at the Dutch Central Bank. And my job with, I believe it was two or three others, was reading through all the most important international financial newspapers very early in the morning and literally using scissors and glue to put together a summary paper of all the major financial news stories for the executive committee members of the central bank, and then go up to the top floors and hand deliver copies of these many papers. So when my first employer was, my, my first permanent employer was looking for someone who had in parentheses experience with the Dutch Central Bank, which turned out to be completing certain required forms that were used for statistical purposes, like trade balances and balance of pay- payments and so forth. They found me working at the Central Bank. And even though this was in a totally different capacity, and I had worked there for less than a week at that time, and had never heard of any of these forms, I still ended up being hired with this company. And later that year, I decided to continue working in Treasury and take up night courses in college. And, and from then on, I continued working in treasury. And with those, uh, that early stages, it's quite funny, actually, you just mentioned about the copying, pasting and real being pasting. You know, sometimes I've talked, I talked to a guest just last week and we were talking about telexes and people are like, what? And, uh, and my youngest son, he sort of asked me one time, he said, dad, what's that when it said on the phone fax? I went, yeah, well, we used to take a piece of paper. Shove yeah. into a machine. He came out with a piece of paper at the other end. He went, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was a while ago. You know, yeah, we used like matrix printers, right? You remember? Exactly. Yeah. So the confirmation had to be in, in fourfold and, and the, the yellow slip going into accounting, uh, the white one mailed to the counterparty, the pink one for your own files, et cetera. And the telex, uh, I started using telexes in the beginning as well. And I mean, big data in those days was everything <laughs> exceeding a hundred rows or something. Yeah. Well, the, well, that actually brings us into what do you, would you say, how would you characterize treasury then? What was it like when you first got into the profession and how have you seen it grow from there? If you like to talk us through the companies you were with and the roles you did. So I think the industry has developed uh, significantly, obviously, but that's undoubtedly true for, for most areas of, of responsibility in a company and, and in, in industries in overall. I mean, the, the business environment has been changing and, and will clearly continue to change, impacting the, the treasury function as well, of course. I'm not sure if it's true what a lot of people seem to think, which is that the world and business have become more volatile and, and more uncertain compared to 30 years ago, longer ago. 
I mean, 30 years ago, we had more than 10 additional currencies to deal with in Europe, some of which could be quite volatile at times, including dozens more different interest rates. In, in Belgium alone, there were two currencies which we occasionally traded against each other, like back Beth trades. And, and yeah. we had much less information and received most of this much slower and later than today, leading to less informed decision-making. And for financial analysis, you had to resort to calculators, like the, the, the whatever is the DI-30 something, you remember? And a little later, we used Lotus 1, 2, 3 as Excel uh, wasn't around yet. Overall, I think of, of, of maybe four trends that have over the last 30 years or so shaped the business environment, uh, impacted companies and how they do business. Uh, and will continue to do so going forward, I think. Uh, first of all, what I'll call the transparency trends. And there's more and more transparency, more controls, more regulations. Just reporting your balance sheet and, and, and P&L is no longer sufficient. Most listed companies need to report on all of their risk factors and provide for quite an extensive management discussion and analysis section, supporting their financials each quarter. Accounting rules are constantly being changed to provide for more transparency. And just think of disclosing various of balance sheet funding programs nowadays. Also think of Disclosing your company's corporate governance framework and how it complies with this through, for instance, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act or, or other local or regional laws and regulations. Think of the need to publish social responsibility reports or disclosing the environmental efforts of the company or of the increased number of occupational health and safety regulations. Think of tax authorities increasingly requiring country-by-country -country reporting nowadays with the, the, the general public and, and the media. Uh, looking for more visibility and how companies deal with the, the, the fair share principle. Yeah. I mean, executive management responsibility is no longer limited to, to optimizing shareholders' returns. Management has to consider pretty much every stakeholder in its decision nowadays, including its employees, the general public, NGOs, etc. Doing the right thing is becoming the new mantra, which directly impacts treasury as well. This is the case for large corporates today already. I think it will likely be the case for smaller or mid-sized ones going forward as well. With yourself, just just give us, if you would, a sort of bit of a, maybe a talk there about larger corporates, because you've had experience all the way through from some smaller corporates at the beginning of your career with cash management there to, to then now. So could you just give us you know, a bit of the chronology of your companies and the roles and how, how you went through those just briefly? Yeah, very briefly. I mean, I started out working for this, this first company I mentioned that was looking for uh, someone with central bank experience. It was a, a privately owned company acting in, in different industries, business to business, global enterprise. Interestingly, because it was a privately held company, family owned business, obviously decision making and, and also transparency was centralized in, in, in one person or, or a small group of family members, which made it a, quite an interesting company to, to, to work for. The second company was a Dutch food company, sugar company actually, which is the only Dutch company I really worked for in my career because after that, I only worked for, for US corporates in, in the biotech sector, in the medical instruments sector in the also in the electronic instrumentation sector mostly US corporations all of them listed companies after that first one with a lot of international presence one of the one of the last companies I worked for was a, a large agri commodity uh, commodities firm a trading and processing firm one of the the AC, ABCD companies and uh, that company uh, was was something something completely completely different in terms of treasury management that's a a, a brief overview of what I've done over the last, I guess, uh, 30 years or so. Yeah, no, it was great. And 
And with those last, you know, few roles, if you like, you know, bring us, because you'd had, you moved around, moved around the world. That's one of the great things with Treasury. It does it's an international career. Can you talk us through how you, you know, some of those moves location-wise and, and what they taught you in Treasury terms? Definitely. I, I've worked in, dif- in different and lived in different parts of the world in the East. I did two tours in the US, one tour in Dubai, lived in and worked in, in different European countries, quite a bit of moving around with and, and mostly with and, and sometimes without the family. So uh, it, it, it is quite a, an enriching experience, I must say, moving around and living in those different areas of the world. Obviously, almost exclusively in, in developed areas of the world. So that makes it a little bit comparable to where we are in, here in, in Northwestern Europe. Definitely a, a very enriching experience for, for me and, and my family. Uh, both professionally and, and, and personally. So um, quite, uh, quite interesting to go through that. One of the items that, that I've seen developing over, over the, the, the years is that maybe a trend that I see developing as well, at least in, in, in certain industry sectors, is that treasury professionals may increasingly have to become more, more industry or, or industry-specific specialists. And I've seen that and I experienced that myself in, in the different sectors I work in, in the commodities sector specifically, which is so different in a lot of ways as, as most other companies and most other industries I've worked in, like this, this fast-moving consumer goods or the biotech and healthcare sectors. That it, it took me at least a year to get a good understanding of, of how treasury management has to function optimally in such an industry. And even by then, I still do, did not fully understand it all. And even though this may have been less apparent and, and less critical so far, it, it would not surprise me if companies in different sectors will increasingly look for, for, for mid to senior level treasury professionals with, with backgrounds, with, with experience in those sectors. Yeah. As they cannot afford to. to a steep or a relatively long learning curve for this group of professionals any longer and require uh, subject matter experts that can generate these competitive advantages for these specific industry sectors and, and companies. Mm-hmm. To be able to hit the ground running and, and instantly add value to areas like currency risk management, equity risk management, uh, knowing the best financial partners to work with in those sectors, etc. I think so far, and that's what I've seen developing indeed, uh, uh, not just here in, in, in Europe, but in, in, globally as well. This treasury has been a fairly generic kind of a plug and play function, whereby treasury professionals can move from one industry and company to another almost seamlessly. I would not be surprised if that changes going forward, at least for certain sectors initially. If it hasn't happened already, I'm, I'm not just aware of it. And, and this has been very common in a lot of other functions for years or maybe even decades already, like commercial jobs, manufacturing jobs, executive positions and so on. So I, I think it would be logical to expect this becomes more common in the treasury area as well. Or do you see this differently, Mike? No, well, I, I was going to ask, you said with FMCG and if you like, and how that was desirable, that's the right way to put it, that, you know, someone wants to you know, have that over other areas and it took you that time to sort of really get to understand it. What, what was unique about that? If you like, what was, what was different? You know, you'd work, you've worked in this variety of different things and obviously you've now got that in your back pocket. What did you, what did you discover? If you like? A couple of things that have changed over the years and, and it, maybe it may, it's, it's more parent or prevalent in, in, in one sector versus the other, but. I think the, the, the two biggest developments in, in recent years uh, for, for treasury management are, are automation or rather digitization and speed of information. 
the amount of data we can use for reporting and analytical, analytical purposes, which will lead to quicker and more informed choices and decisions than before, at least in theory. And, and secondly, what I've seen developing is that there's more broader and, and deeper uh, subject matter expertise all around in the treasury area, resulting in, in more involvement of treasury professionals and, and in more decision-making processes in, in the company. Nevertheless, I believe there's still a lot to be gained in a significant number of companies globally in the area of treasury management. So more CFOs and, and boards still need to get a better understanding of the, of the, the broader added value of the treasury function and, and more treasury teams can link up and, and work more effectively together with other corporate functions like tax, legal, FP&A, and so on. More operational, more strategic support can still be, be uh, rendered by treasury professionals to the business areas and business managers uh, of their companies. I mean, treasurers may be expected to look at, at issues, financial risks and opportunities, or for instance, a company's balance sheet or P&L differently and, and sometimes distinctively differently than most other finance professionals in the company do. Uh, which they should be doing and, and which companies should take advantage of. And I think that's something that uh, is, is, has started to develop and will need to continue to develop from, from both sides, right? From a strategy perspective, as well as from a, an executive management perspective. So, well, can you maybe give us a, an actual example of what you're talking about there, just about how treasury and finance, you know, the di- maybe the different way you view it or if that's the right yeah. I thought of like, take working capital as an example. I mean, an FP&A manager or finance director may often look at, at working capital management differently than a treasury professional. If working capital, as reported at the end of a quarter, for instance, has increased compared to the last quarter or the same quarter in the prior year, with revenues in these periods coming in at the same levels, an FP&A manager, finance director, will likely look at the costs for this, right? So suppose this manager finds that the receivables balance has increased asking himself or herself why this has happened. And so further analysis shows that there are more overdue receivable balances. So the credit team is requested to start chasing customers more actively to pay these balances, which is a pretty straightforward sequence of events, right? So you may expect a treasury professional to look at this somewhat differently. First, uh, a, a treasury professional may be analyzing the cost of the working capital increase and the increased DSO in particular to the company, if only to show the finance team what their efforts will generate for the company in terms of reducing such DSO. But also a, a, a treasury professional will look at the impact of the working capital increase on the company's liquidity position and if any action may be required in that area. Moreover, a, a treasury professional may look at the increased credit risk of lower outstanding receivable balances and the potential cost of, of this increased risk. But also from an opportunity point of view, a treasury professional may look at the cost of the increased receivable balances uh, versus any actions that may generate more benefits to the company, like reviewing the opportunity with the credit team to effectively charge through the cost of the delayed payments to customers at an interest rate that may be set you know, higher, significantly higher than the cost of funding of the company, which would also cover this increased credit risk cost. Or a treasury professional may look at opportunities in the other working capital items, such as negotiating extended payment terms to suppliers at more attractive rates, and obviously also looking for opportunities to find alternative funding options for various working capital items. So a, a different perspective altogether, looking at cost, at risk and opportunities, rather than just reducing the working capital balance. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously simplifying this, but just trying to make the distinction in how 
treasury professional may look at, at risk and opportunities and, and issues differently from a finance professional in other areas. You mentioned there you've traveled the world with treasury and everything else. This links to some of the questions we were sort of going to dive into. With yourself, you, you've worked in New York, you've then worked across Europe, and then more recently you've had experience working over in Dubai and over in the Middle East and things. How would you see, how are they different? You know, Because I get lots of people saying to me, Mike, I'd, you know, I'd like to work in the Middle East or have, do you get roles out there? And we do on occasion. We've recruited both Sabic and some of our other clients out there. But how have you found it different out there? Is it sort of still growing and developing as a region or what, are, what have you definitely found yourself? Yes, Dubai is definitely developing and, and, and developing at a, at a tremendous pace. I mean, it's now, I think it's the seventh largest financial center of the world and it's, it's attacking Singapore. In that sense, obviously the whole Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia is, is, is also knocking on doors to try to, to get into uh, the global financial markets. But Dubai is, is, is definitely leading in, in that region. And from a, from a geographical point of view, it's obviously a, a good location eastwards, uh, south uh, going into Africa and, and, and westwards going into Europe and, and North America, South America. And that's what they're trying to take advantage of. Of that location, and they're doing it in a very smart way, similar to how Singapore and the Singapore government have developed that country like decades ago already, and that's that's something they're doing in, in Dubai, in particular as well, or the Emirates uh, as a whole. But definitely Dubai. It's a very a bit similar to New York, maybe a hundred years ago. It's it's uh, it's a it's, you get an energy if you're there. It's everything you see is moving. I mean, there's there's buildings being constructed everywhere every day. Uh, day and night, uh, there's a certain vibe, obviously a huge expat uh, community there working in so very, very well-educated environment that is working to develop the country and develop the, the, the industry there. You have to, uh, let's say, like uh, to work in, in a fairly remote location, uh, also from a cultural point of view, in order to, to be successful there. But if you, if you can do that, it's a very uh, interesting and, and challenging environment to work in. And you've touched on there about treasury functions growing, developing, improving. Where do you think that they need to improve more? Where, where can they better support an organization or company that, where, where are they, you know, in a way, where are they falling down? Where should they strengthen up sort of thing? What is still somewhat lacking, although I think it, it is starting to, to, to grow there as well, is the uh, is banking environment. Obviously, there's a number of, of local and regional banks that are very active there. Some of the larger banks have, have presence there, certainly the, the likes of Citibank and HCBC also on the, on the private banking side. There's more and more banks that are going in there, but they still need to develop like a capital markets area, more supporting uh, the, the, the local businesses there or the regional businesses there. So there's still a lot to be gained there. Uh, consulting firms are, are slowly moving into, into that environment and starting to build their operations out of there. Some of the treasury management system providers are there already and building their uh, presence. So I, I think um, it's still a matter of time before it, it's all fully up and running, but it's, it's, it's definitely for, for the next couple of years and, and decade, it's going to be there. And, and when you say it's, you know, developing and things like that, what, what is, is it the technology that's you know, coming with it or? Again, you've made this move into interim management. Maybe we'll actually ask you that. That's a better question. Why have you made this move into interim? And is this you know, part of that where the treasury function, you want it to support and improve it? Or what's the, what's the situation? Yeah. 
Before I, I go into that second question, Mike, if, if I may, um, I think it was in at the end of uh, 2021, if I remember correctly, and I, I think it was something like the second week of December that the, the Dubai government suddenly uh, announced that as of January 1st of the next year, so, so two, three weeks later, the working days in Dubai would change from a Sunday to Thursday pattern to a Monday to Friday pattern. Okay. Yeah to uh, obviously compete with the rest of the financial world and, and be open uh, during the same hours and the same days, at least, um, as the rest of the financial world globally. And they, they decided that there was no, like we, should, we have here in Europe, of course, we have, there was no period of, of, of reconciliation or discussions about it. From one day to the other, they announced it. Three weeks later, everything in the country had to change, like schools, uh, the prayer hours for, for the Friday prayer and so forth. Everything had to change and, and build around that, that decision within just two, three weeks. And that's how fast, thing go, fast things go in, in a country like Dubai. I mean, they, they want to be uh, part of the, the global financial world and they take actions immediately and instantly to, to become part of that financial world. And that's, that's an example of how, how fast things go there. In terms of, of that second question that you, that you asked, Mike, the things that I'm, I'm looking forward in, in establishing, you know, having established my own interim management uh, business is that I did that for a couple of reasons. First of all, whenever I worked with, with mid-sized companies, which were usually business units or divisions of the larger corporations I worked for, and each with, with revenues ranging from a few hundred uh, million up to, let's say, a billion dollars or euros, it became clear to me that in a lot of these, maybe most of these companies, there was not a lot of in-house treasure expertise. In, in some respects, that is not too surprising without hiring a subject matter expert in this area. You may expect to see this, but on the other hand, I noticed that these companies often also are not fully aware or do not carefully review the opportunities or risks that they incur in areas that in those companies are managed by representatives from finance or tax or other areas. Opportunities, for example, in working capital management, opportunities in, in optimizing the, the capital structures of, uh, of subsidiaries of these companies, opportunities to look for currency exposure management improvements like natural hedging or, or negotiating currency clauses in, in distributor agreements or imp, imp, opportunities to improve payment processes, automation, security, etc. Not necessarily the complex high finance opportunities that these companies may associate treasury management with or, or that their banks may come up with, but very day-to-day -day challenges they are facing and can improve upon. I think and, and I hope with my experience and expertise in, in larger corporates that I can translate this into the value-added services for such mid-sized companies on a consulting or interim basis, after which these companies can then hire a permanent, most likely much younger job holder who I could train or maybe support for a period of time as needed. Secondly, as a consultant or interim manager, I would expect and hope to be able uh, to stay away from what I'll call politics within, within most companies. I think, I mean, as a treasury professional, you need to have good political skills. And that's important, uh, but that does not mean I necessarily and necessarily enjoy spending a lot of time using these skills. In some of the larger companies I worked for, it often took a lot of time to get things done. As executive management, either did not fully understand, or appreciate, or was willing to accept flaws or the risks or, or the opportunities that were identified by me and, and my, my teams. And in these companies, you may have to go through a few levels and roadblocks before you can start moving the needle. I'm not saying such companies may not have good reasons to, to stall decision-making or go after other opportunities first, but at this stage of my career, 
I prefer spending my time with companies that effectively want to and, and are able to move more quickly on the opportunities they have. And, and I'm hopeful that mid-sized companies are more open to their flaws and their opportunities and just to moving more quickly in, in, in resolving these. Just to jump in there, is that one of the reasons why you sort of, you chose to, you know, to establish your own consultancy or, you know, what, is that why? Yeah, that may be a little bit of a, of a, of a negative reason, if you will, to, to stay away from, from politics, but definitely uh, supporting mid-sized companies that I haven't been, been uh, able to work with yet, at least unless they were part of a larger corporation uh, with the, all the rules and the conditions and the requirements of larger corporations. That is, that is definitely what, what attracts me. At the more personal level, I'm also at a stage of my career where I like to have a better, let's say, work-family balance. Not work-life balance, but certainly work-family balance. Because as, as you mentioned, uh, Mike, I've worked and lived in New York, Dubai, uh, various European countries, and, and I've traveled quite a bit for my jobs and, and without my family over the years. And I like to be a bit more flexible in my time spent working and on the location of where I work from. Having said this, as I, I just mentioned before the recording started, I'm about to accept an interim assignment uh, that will take me back to Dubai on a part-time basis again. So I guess that, that objective of mine seemed to have thrown out of the window almost immediately, but at least this will be for a few months only. So having that flexibility, you know, because you can choose, you know, by being in that, you know, it's, it's not someone else. When you're in a full-time permanent role, in a way you're beholden a little bit, or the, you know, the, if they're moving, you have to follow the operations. It's not like you can have that much, whereas you're, you're in the position of power in this way. So. Yeah, absolutely. And as Treasury then, you know, we're sort of not that far off the end of the show, got this depth of experience and everything else. How have you seen Treasury, you know, developing? What's the future? Do you, would you say we, you know, we do this each week, we go through a bit about your career, obviously a bit more free flowing this week, but where do you see Treasury developing from here? Would you say? Since the days of COVID, I've seen a lot of, of publications about the Treasury function increasingly becoming more important and, and more integrated within companies like, yeah. Treasury has a seat at the board's table or uh, Treasury becoming more of a strategic advisor to the board is, is what I'm reading. But other than with the commodities firm I worked for, as I mentioned earlier, where Treasury was truly at the center of, or, or at least requested for input and advice in practically all important strategic decisions, I haven't seen this myself too much, to be honest. In, in, in most companies, the Treasury function still appears to be used primarily for its core functions, funding, cash management, and, and several financial risk management and more operational responsibilities. I mean, Treasury is still a business partner and a support function. It is not, not deemed a business unit that can, in and by itself, make a huge strategic difference for a company. At least that is my perception. And maybe that's true to my professional shortfalls with CFOs not involving me or the Treasury teams I work in. Or maybe I only have a very narrow view of the treasury world and, and treasury teams are effectively already playing a much more pivotal role, but I don't know. But, but, but most, most of that still has to develop and I hope it will develop for, for treasury in, in the future. What I mentioned earlier is that treasury should really be, and I think it should, needs to develop into a, a function that can create this, this competitive advantage for a company, for an industry sector. It's still not, not, not the case today. Just like legal and tax, uh, the other say corporate support functions, treasury and treasury may probably in particular will have to become uh, increasingly important to generate a competitive advantage that, that could make the difference between a successful and a highly successful business. And in that sense, I think 
it implies that the treasury function uh, will have to develop from just a value-adding function to one that is truly looking to generate a competitive advantage. In this respect, I mean, what I found intriguing, also having a bit more time over the last couple of months, of course, to, to look into all kinds of publications, is that if you look uh, at, at various polls sent to treasury professionals uh, globally, uh, such as the one of the, the ACT, the UK ACT, a few months ago, you can see that treasury professionals appear to be focusing almost exclusive, exclusively at, at internal or, or in-house looking uh, company-specific issues. Again, not sure if this is an accurate perception or if this is just due to some guidance from, from the, the, the creators of the polls. But the top listed major challenges in, in this ACT survey, for instance, according to the, the, the Treasury respondents are, and I quote, first, improving payment processes, then uh, secondly, protecting the organization through sound internal policies and procedures, and, and thirdly, reducing slash lowering costs internal to the departments. In the section on Treasury priorities, uh, respondents, respondents answered as their number one priority, uh, just like the last 30 plus years, I believe. Uh, cash management and cash forecasting, followed by payments, treasury, and related technologies. But neither in the top 20 of major challenges, nor in the top 10 of, of current treasury priorities, is there any mention of the company's competitive position or its, its competitive proposition from a, from a treasury point of view? I mean, the, the term financial markets is hardly used and the term opportunities not at all. And it gives me the idea that not a lot of thought is apparently going into the treasury professionals' minds, uh, thinking on, on how the treasury function can, and maybe in the future will be expected or will need to create a competitive advantage for a company in the area of treasury management. And I, I find this somewhat surprising, as I'm fairly sure executive management of most companies, and the CEOs and CFOs, et cetera, even the sales and marketing teams or the manufacturing logistics teams are, are frequently occupied with what their competitors are doing and not doing. For a treasury function, in a lot of companies, it may become increasingly important to understand what the company's competition is doing in, in, in various areas of risk management. I mean, do they hedge their currency exposures or interest rate risks? And if so, how do they hedge it? And how do they fund their balance sheet? And how strong is their balance sheet? Uh, and uh, all of which may be critical information in, in, for instance, the preparation of a competitive M&A deals or in, in funding or refinancing decisions. We discussed, I worked almost exclusively for, for listed corporations in my career. So this kind of benchmarking and insights into the competition has been relatively easy to gather uh, in view of all the, the quarterly reporting and the, the data that is available for the banks or credit rating agencies. But I believe a lot of information can be gathered for, for non-listed and smaller companies as well. Maybe less frequently, but, but still available. So I think in terms of what, what needs to happen, what I hope will happen is that a more outward looking treasury function with more benchmarking and reviewing of competitors' data and actions may create competitive advantages that, that are not generated today or are not known today within most companies. I think also there's something I wanted to contribute there as well, Mark, that mm -hmm. I think sometimes, and not being hypercritical of the, the survey in and of itself, I sometimes think that they they come with a certain light. If you know, they they're focusing a light, as you say, they're about risk or this or this. You know, I did this, and I've quoted a few times now. I went to I spoke at one of the Economist conferences for Eurofinance, and as I was looking around the room, I said, "Look, you guys, you got a table there about risk management. You got a table there about treasury management systems. Another one about technology and the what? Oh yeah, yeah." I said, "They have one over there about talent." about you guys in this room and about sw who switches on the 
the computer? Who runs them? Who then does this? Who then manages the team? About the people in this room, I think that would be far higher. I think that's as, you know, without this, if we didn't go to work, there wouldn't be any treasury operating. You know, that's one of the key things. And that's why we go to people like yourself each month, which is amazing that you're each week rather that actually when we get to talk about this, it's about the people. There's yeah. not anything. So yeah, I know. I think that's yeah. Yeah, And it, again, it may not be a correct perception as it is indeed. I mean, these polls seem to be focused on certain things and, and not focused on others. So if, if the question is not asked, the answer is not given either. Also, when I talk to, to my colleagues uh, in the, in the past, I, I, and go to these conferences that, that you mentioned occasionally, uh, you see the same thing happening. I mean, the fact that cash management and, and cash forecasting is mentioned is, is, is clear in every uh, Eurofinance conference you go to and the, the large ones, it's all, I, I mean, the primary topic is still cash management like it was 30 years ago. Yeah, I think you're right. There, there are going to be themes that keep on recurring, but I think it's, it's about also recognizing the other areas that surround it, that yeah. people, it's about all the other things coming into it to make this big hole something as it were. We're going to come to the end of the episode. We, what we do is we give some of the top takeaways, if you like, we'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes. So if people are looking for people within interim management, when you're back and stuff like that from your latest assignment and travels, so people can connect to you, but. Just looking, looking to the future, what, what's the sort of takeaways you can give to other people listening, maybe if they're earlier in their career or a bit further on in their career, what are the takeaways you give people? A general word of advice, hard to give, other than maybe, I mean, experiencing it yourself uh, usually teaches you the most and, and sometimes the easy way, sometimes the hard way. I think three works, three things that have worked for me and have been and, and, and still are important to me, both, both professionally and personally. So maybe not necessarily as an advice, but just do the way that what you want. The first thing is, I mean, as a treasury professional, I think you should always be curious. If you don't ask the question and, and search for the answers, if you as a treasury professional don't look out for the, for the risks and opportunities and how to manage these, it is very likely no one else will either, at least not until it's too late. So be curious. Uh, secondly, but this is likely true for most jobs, not just producing treasury, and that is be, be open to change, be flexible. Don't, don't always automatically stick to what you know works, but try to see it differently and from, from multiple angles. As a treasury professional, I, th I think I mentioned that before, you, you're the one-eyed in the land of the blind, or at least of the, the visually impaired. As a treasury professional, you can easily make the mistake thinking that you know best. So if you have learned to do something in a certain way, it's easy to think that that is the only and just the best way to do things. Don't uh, have seen it kind of mentality. There's, there's not a lot, a lot of correcting uh, factors for most traffic professionals because they're, they're the, the sole subject matter experts within a lot of companies, certainly not a lot of forward-looking factors. There's a, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks, as they say in the US, knowing how things uh, have played out uh, or should have played out over the weekend. But there's not a lot of quarterbacks that can tell you the final score before the game already with full confidence. And so what I'm trying to say is that there are not a lot of colleagues or executives that may be asking you the right questions or, or fully understanding your answers uh, for that matter. I mean, experience matters and, and the experience you have gained during career is very important, but I believe it is how you apply your experience that could make the biggest difference to a company. I mean, experience alone does not add a lot of value, at least not in my experience, but applying your experience effectively does. Yeah. And, and lastly, 
this is what is important, not just in, in, in business, but probably in life in general. And that is have confidence in yourself, in your abilities and in your doubts. I believe that one of the most important tasks as a parent, at least for me, is providing uh, my children, our children, with a level of confidence. If you have learned to have the right level of confidence in yourself, things will often work out sooner or later. You will be able to reflect, to come up with an answer or a solution or, or work around or something. Be it right or be it wrong, doesn't matter because if you, if you have that confidence, you know you're going to make mistakes and you just deal with it. And that is important for this, this siloed strategy profession. And I've worked at least uh, with my family and school going kids in, in the US, as I mentioned, and in Dubai. And definitely the first time we moved to the US, one of the most important drivers to accept that position was to show our children that life can be good and interesting there as well. I mean, you can pretty easily find friendships and learn the language quickly, certainly as a kid, becoming part of that community and adapting to the society over there. And as a result, become comfortable and, and just more confident. You build confidence in yourself. And this may not be true for, for all parts of the world or for all children or professionals for that matter, but I'm under the impression that, that our children have grown, have confidently grown to be open to the world and be open to change and looking for their opportunities and so far being quite confident, uh, knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. Having the proper level of confidence also implies being critical on yourself and on your actions or lack of action sometimes. If you, if you constantly doubt yourself, you may be less open to, to, to criticism from others and from yourself. Having doubts is essential to be successful for, for most of us and certainly for me, but doubting yourself is, is usually not so constructive. So as a standalone professional, again, a treasury professional, it is relatively easy to mistake confidence for arrogance and, and arrogance usually stands in the way of criticism. So be critical, be humble, but have confidence. As a treasury professional, you are often in the best, but, but most of the times also in the only position to do so. So be curious, the selective application of your expertise, I think is a good way to maybe sort of summarize some of that. Yeah. Um, be confident, you know, in your own ability and everything else, I think. And be open to change. Yeah. So amazing. We'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes so people can connect with you. Another great episode. Really enjoy talking to you and uh, yep. look forward to seeing you at another, another conference where hopefully we won't just talk cash management, talk other stuff. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Frank. Amazing chat. Thank really you. Thank you. Hello, it's Mike here again. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you did, then maybe you want to follow the show or subscribe, depending on where you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, or another great place to listen to the show from. It's totally free and means that you'll be the first to see each and every week when we release a new show. And maybe whilst you're there, you could even leave a quick review. Reviews and ratings are among the most important metrics for a podcast to effectively rank. And as you can probably appreciate, the podcast is a lot of hard work to produce every week. It'd be amazing. Just take, say, 20 seconds, leave a quick review of my amazing guests and their great career stories. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks very much, and I can't wait to see you soon.